It is 9.34, and I've got on the phone, Barb. How you doing, Barb? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm sorry that I got busy. <laughs> I'm doing flower arrangements for tomorrow's, for our 60th wedding anniversary. Well, happy, and Barb, I want to make sure everybody knows, happy anniversary, 60 years, Dave and Barb. That is awesome, and I am very, very happy for you, and I think it's wonderful. It's It's just so joyous and so much fun. We have the kids home and our granddaughter's home and um, we're just having a wonderful time and everybody's scurrying around doing this and this and that and uh, I, I've been um, yesterday I went out and picked flowers <laughs> and we might as well talk about how do you prepare flowers if you're going to put them in an arrangement and the thing is uh, you have to go out at least 24 hours in advance in the early morning, you don't want to be picking flowers when it's hot out. They're stressed enough then. You want to get them in the early morning when they're rested and bring them in. Uh, take your water out to the garden with you and uh, use tepid water. And as a matter of fact, uh, I used rainwater. I took it right out of the barrel. It was just right. And uh, put cut them and at an angle and then put them... Uh, some of them I had room for in my refrigerator downstairs, and the other ones I put in the cool room that we have mm -hmm. down there. So they just rested nicely in their in their water. And now this morning, um, I've got the Oasis ready, which is that wonderful flower foam, the kind that holds plants in place. Now, Barb, there so, are two kinds of foam. There's one for dry arrangements and there's one for wet arrangements. And I learned that from showing my at, at the fairs and at the flower shows and things that I do. And so you make sure you get the one that's for wet uh, if you're going to have mm -hmm. live flowers because otherwise the dry mm -hmm. stuff doesn't work. Right. And the, the foam, it's important to note, you never put your flowers into that dry foam. You soak that at a minimum of two hours in advance. So they're just soaking wet. They actually get quite heavy. And um, you can buy something that's called uh, uh, wet tape. And it will tape these blocks and, of foam in place. It's called Oasis. You, you'll tape those in place. And then uh, if you have, sometimes you have a bigger um, the circumference of the pot or the vase is bigger, and it would move in there. So if you tape it in place, if you need to do that, that's a really, really good idea. And then you top, tape it to the ridge. So you run the tape across the oasis and then onto the vase itself. So you've got it secure all the way around. And then again, uh, you use plenty of tepid water and put them in a cool place till they're ready to go on display or wherever you're going to put them, you know, and uh, they should keep, you know, a long time. And I am cutting all the stems as I go along now, too. Right. So when, when you're in the garden and you first cut them, you get a very sharp knife or something, very sharp. Actually, it's don't use a, a scissors or something because when you do that, it crushes the, the water right. uptake veins mm -hmm. in the, I don't know, veins not the right word, but you know yeah. what I mean. And, then, and do that again when you, yeah, if you're taking them right in, um, and that you always should take them right in. But if you're gonna, if you need them right now, you want to put them. You've got guests coming for supper, and you hadn't thought in advance that you'd need flowers. Well, then that cutting is once is enough. 
but otherwise as soon as you have rested them overnight then recut them again and use that um, it's kind of like the rabbits when they cut they always cut at an angle mm-hmm. have you noticed that 45 degree the, angle I think that's like the clue that that it was a rabbit that did it yeah yeah well if you think about that you'll get just a slight angle it doesn't have to be really long so do that and be sure that you don't have any foliage in the water because then bacteria sets in. And it spoils and stinks. <laughs> That's when it starts to stink. I, I learned a trick when I at the Lily, when I, we're showing up at the North Star Lily Society show. You know, some people come with these beautiful, beautiful lilies, and I said, oh, my goodness, mine are, you know, of that kind are all done. Well, the secret is they actually, they obviously have blossoms that are setting on there but haven't opened yet. So some even a week before will cut mm-hmm. that and bring it inside and put it in a, a cooler area in the basement or some have actually walk-in freezers because these people are serious. And then that will uh, prevent the, the plant from uh, opening because it'll be cooler. Right. And then they take it out when they want it to, to open. So that's how, I guess, if you're a really showmanship and you know about those things, that's how some sure, can really sure. get that, that secret wow factor. Right. <clears throat> and if you see what the florist do, they, if they're a really big operation, they have walk-in coolers, mm-hmm. so they have them in buckets in there. Or if you have a smaller operation, they have um, the refrigerated units where you just put in smaller amounts. But, yeah, cooling is incredibly important. And here's what's really nice. with uh, If you grow the flowers yourself and you've cared for them, you know you've got healthy flowers. And if you've been used to bringing flowers in, you know, they can last 10 days in the house. It all depends on the type of flower. For example, the hibiscus, the big one that we love so much, that is a one-day uh, one. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's, it's, it's open for one day. And so, but cut them and, and enjoy them and bring them in. That's the most fun. So, Barb, we have a couple of listeners who have sent us questions so I want to one is on the text here that I want to bring up sure and it says a question for Barb I have an old lilac bush that is overrun by Virginia waterleaf it's killing the lilac how can I control it I pull it down a couple of times a year last fall I cut it back at the stem and put a brush killer on the stem it came back more aggressive than ever before this spring it's starting wait it's starting to spread to nearby shrubs help what can i do to save my lilac and i wanted to say it is a native to minnesota by the way it's a native wildflower yeah water leaf is is actually listed as one of the pollinator plants it comes up early and blooms and so the pollinators need it but the listener is right that is an extremely invasive plant um, I got one plant from my friend Barb, and actually the leaf is quite interesting, and I was happy to have it. And even though I put it um, in the back in my yard, it, it spread. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it must be, um, if you don't get the blooms off, it goes to seed, and the birds must carry it around. So it can, and it can be very thick, but I found that what all I'm doing is as soon as I see it coming up in the spring, you know, because it's so easy when all the regular perennials are still sleeping, that water leaf will come up, start taking it out then. And I've been pretty lucky 
because my soil is fairly light, I can pull it out. But in her case, or in the listener's case, that might not be true. So if you have a hoary hoary knife or something, put it down beside the plant and go push the knife in, the hoary hoary in, and then bring it up. So you get that root. That's what you want to do is get that root. Otherwise, um, uh, you're going you're gonna to have it. You break it off. It'll come back. So maybe, listener, maybe what you've been doing is just getting the top growth and not getting what's underground. So I would say keep doing that. Uh, don't use chemical. Uh, anything that would be strong enough to kill that would certainly also affect your lilac. And lilacs are really pretty tough. Um, but it, it becomes kind of unsightly. It does crowd out other plants. So if it's something, if you got it, you've got to control it. And, and Barbara, I was going to say, I've got it at the, at the lake house, and I love it because it is excellent. Um, it spreads a lot, but I've got it, you know, a large area, and it, it basically... <laughs> is a erosion control for me because you know i've got a lot yeah. of slopes but it is definitely not something if you have a smaller yard because it will take yeah. over now do you think it's actually killing the lilac or do you think that the drought is more likely killing that lilac i i would say it's the um the lilac is responding to the drought but you know what you will see in the cemetery a lot of times these really old cemeteries the country ones mm-hmm. you'll see lilacs that that are as old as the cemetery is you know, 50, 60, 100 years old. And they it may not look good now because we've really had two years of drought, but I would say it's going to come back. And in the spring, uh, as soon as it starts growing, I would give it just a little bit of, uh, of fertilizer to get it started. I would use a water-soluble fertilizer and particularly something that uh, nitrogen wasn't so high but phosphorus would be the one that it would probably need. But maybe a balanced fertilizer, if you can find that, like 10-10-10, that would be good, too. I'd try that. I don't think that you will use a lilac to the water leaf. I just, I can't imagine that, because uh, the yeah. lilac, it, it not only does it, um, it, it recedes, but a lilac, um, it, keeps, it keeps sending up yes. new shoots on all sides so and then of course you know if you've got something in in deep shade and i suspect there could be shade there because uh the water leaf really loves the deep shade i mean they just they just go nuts over that so that might be the part of the problem too but yeah i would uh, be surprised if it was actually killing the lilac if anything i would guess it was was probably more from the drought and and yeah. the you know the it's water leaf yeah i think it's environmental yeah. okay yeah, i've yeah. got another i think i sent you this in an email actually but you i don't did. know if you had a chance from our friend micah micah says my new neighbor and i have decided not to mow she has started planting native plants i try to get a perennial every year but i am a poor disabled person trying to keep my head above water so it doesn't always happen but i do what i can for the environment the township sent us a letter to mow grass and remove weeds. These so-called weeds, I feel, are flowering plants which will produce food for animals. Most of the grass is uh, laying over, so it's, it's you know, just laying over. It's yeah, tall enough. Yeah. We have deer that sleep in the grass, and in the morning, it's nice to see the babies running, bucking, and prancing around. Some <laughs> neighbors of, uh, have compl- complimented me on the yard. Your thoughts on possible 
uh, you know, what we can do against the township who has been basically, they she feels harassing uh, over the past five or six years to say, hey, mow your lawn. And of course, we talk about, you know, planting natives and that sort of thing. And, and this, I said, you know, what is your township? And it's South Bend Township. You know, I don't know if each township has their own covenants, so to speak. I mean, I don't, you know, I would say yeah. go check yeah. to see what their um, rules and regulations are. I, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I did read that email, and uh, my heart goes out to Micah because he's trying to do the right thing. And in some parts of the country, he would be celebrated and cheered mm -hmm. for not using chemicals, not using a lawnmower, that natural look. We are moving in that direction, but very, very slowly. First of all, if I were you, Micah, I would go talk to the town board. I'd make some notes so I could talk about the value of when we put in what we call corridors now. This resting area, our corridor, that you're providing for the, like the butterflies or the other pollinators, that's what we need. All across the country, there, the, um, government along their highways they're they're putting in these corridors so that we finally are beginning to realize that the bees all of the pollinators are so valuable to our farming and agriculture is a huge business and depends on the pollination of um, bees and well birds they they all they all get in there and they drag that pollen around and take it from plant to plant. And there's nothing really that we can ever do to stimulate that. I mean, we, we could depend on wind, but how often do we have wind at the right time <laughs> to carry that, that pollen around? So I would just put some notes together, Micah, and I would go with my neighbor and I would just, you know, just tell them, we want to work with you, but we feel that we are doing everything we can for the environment, and we would like to encourage other people. And if there's neighbors that are complaining, um, maybe they can have a, a neighborhood get-together in his lawn and understand what it's all about. I mean, we all didn't start out the, uh, born with this knowledge of, of, of the environment and, and what's good for our pollinators. This is such a recent thing. So... I would just encourage him to do that. And then I'd also take a look at, um, besides your township uh, rules and regulations, uh, there actually are some um, state rules uh, from the state of Minnesota that prescribes what lawn should look like. So take a look at those, too. But I think maybe if you can work with them and see what they would allow, and maybe you can give a little and um, everybody will be happy, but, um, yeah. And maybe, you know, here's a thought. How about a sign that says pollinator lawns? You know, maybe you can educate that way by putting up a sign or for more information or, um, and, you know, we have plenty of bulletins and things at the extension office that are free that say, you know, how to attract pollinators, what is the value of our pollinators, that type of thing. If you stop in at the county courthouse, go up to the third floor, there's an elevator, and get those. 
um, and hand them out to your neighbor. Have them ready to go. And um, if you have more problems, please give us a call. We just want to encourage Micah and anybody else that's trying to do something that's environmentally friendly, that really is taking a look at all of the the flora and the fauna and what's best for them and not to put chemicals down of ba- any type. Now, Barb, this is very timely. I just got this in my email from the board, uh, Minnesota Board of Water and Soil Resources. They are opening up and accepting applications for the Spring 2024 Lawns to Legumes program, yes. which yes. is a cost-sharing funding available to Minnesota residents to create pollinator habitats. So they are encouraging people to create pollinator right, spaces. Right. And so I want to make sure people know about this because there is a deadline and the deadline is August 22nd, which is coming up. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. The 2024 Lawns to Legume Pollinator Habit Habitat Projects applications accepted. Oh, wait, no, here it is. Applications are accepted through November 30th of this year and applications submitted on August 22nd or later that were not previously awarded a grant will remain in consideration for spring 2024 and do not need yeah. to be resubmitted. So I know I've heard people who said, well, I've submitted several times and I haven't got it. Well, you know, keep doing it. And I happen to be right. lucky and get one the first time back in 2019 sure. when they first had this program and have had a wonder, I have a wonderful shoreline pollinator garden which has right. helped with you know uh filtering a lot of the stuff that goes down the hill so lawns to legumes helps minnesotans put conservation on the ground in a way that works for them and so uh, so far there are more than 3,000 residential habitat projects across all 87 minnesota counties that have been implemented since the program launched in 2019 and so they they help you out with they give you a mentor in my case my mentor uh, was uh, Shane Bajea, our extension agent. And so there are people who will help you if you say, well, I don't have an idea what to do. There are also p- pre-planned uh, pollinator kits you can buy, which I encourage is, which w- is what I did. So how do you apply? Well, you go to the Blue Thumb website. So just on your computer, type in Blue Thumb, and uh, on the, then they'll have info about the Lawns to Legume program and you can get up i think they've increased the amount up to four hundred dollars in costs associated with establishing new pollinator habitat so that can include plants or soil or whatever but then you have to provide the sweat equity and also you have to supply some of the the and maintain it and and maintain it for a minimum of three years because they you know they follow it and so i just want to encourage people and and micah if if this is something i don't know if you're able to do but check it out and you know michael one reason that some people are getting accepted and not, I was on the um, board for accepting uh, people to go into the um, uh, a reserve program here when they put on the state tax and we took uh, and allowed money for taking habitat that was in an area that was flooding. And, uh, and what we looked at was, uh, uh, it, did it have water? Did it have the habitat that um, animals would need, and um, and could it uh, uh, and the size of it? So I mean, there were different things. If you read that, see what their requirement is, and be sure and write to that. And I'm sure that they're talking about saving habitat or preventing erosion or things like that. And there's 
uh, you can tell. Uh, let Tell them your story, what you're trying to do. And you know what? When it comes from your heart and you're talking about what you know to be true, I think they might sit up and read that. Uh, so go for it. Just just don't be discouraged if you lose it the first time. We have a new neighbor in the neighborhood, and last year she wrote and she got um, uh, a lawn legium grant, and uh, she's gotten ex- assistance from different places. One was one of the nurseries in town. <coughs> they were very helpful in making suggestions to her. And then extension was very helpful, too. And as you say, Karen, um, they got you a mentor after you got the grant Mm -hmm. and to help you uh, uh, know what to order. And uh, so there's there's lots of help out there. Don't give up. If, If what you want to do is be a friend to the environment, just um, just keep working at it, and, but know that you're going to have to compromise somewhere along the line. Right. So, well, well, we are glad that that there are people out there who are trying to, you know, adhere. I have a feeling that in in future years, with the way if we keep having droughts and these these uh, strong weather uh, events, as they call them, that more and more uh, we're going to be encouraged not to have lawns because it, it, they just can't tolerate it. This bluegrass lawns and and, you know, I, I'm going to this fall, you know, I've, I've been planting the mini clover in my yard. I'm going to reseed again this, this fall, and I'm going to put some uh, a fine fescue in that's also a, a little yeah. grass. Because we had talked about how you need something else besides just the clover uh, in, right. in, in your mix for the lawn. Yeah, it helps shade it. You know, and the other thing is, uh, we're also seeing and reading about uh, young children, how they're having more respiratory problems. And who is it that plays on the grass? It's children, young children, and our pets and animals, as well as pollinators and that. So we have to consider that, too. Why is it that young children are showing up in the emergency rooms with respiratory problems? As a person myself who now has um, asthma, I have to think, you know, how did I get by all these years? I've never used chemicals, but now all of a sudden I come down with this, this asthma. And, and I, I know when the neighbors surrounding me, when they have their lawn sprayed and they're using a chemical, that's when I have to go inside. I yes. can't breathe. So, you know, that, that's a big thing for the future, too. Right, absolutely. Hey, here's something else I wanted to mention that is coming up, not this week, but uh, next, let's see, on the, it's actually on the 19th, so that would be maybe a couple weeks ago, is the Hummingbird Hurrah, and that is a great place to see pollinators in Henderson. You've probably heard of that, Barb. Yeah. And We've that's been good. there. Oh, you have? It, yes. It's, it's mesmerizing. Yes, it's absolutely. August 19th, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., the Hummingbird Hurrah, I'm sure. Al Bat will talk about that, but that's in Henderson, so something to look forward to as well. And you can see, go there and see what kind of plants attract those pollinators and maybe mimic that on your own property. Right, right. Beautiful, uh, beautiful town. Uh, and it, it's sort of vintage. It's, it's just, you know, has some of those old buildings. They have a malt shop, make real malts. Can you imagine? I had a real chocolate malt there that was so 
good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Served in one of those tall, old-fashioned malt glasses, and they bring you the container that they mixed it in, and you just, just, you just dump it into your own glass. And, oh, I thought, wow, this is so much ice cream. It's not something that's served in a plastic cup. And you just get this small amount, and it, it tastes like it's been thickened with something rather than good ice cream. Just a malt. You have to know how to make a good malt, don't you? Absolutely. And, Barb, we need to keep watering. That's another thing we'll let folks know. I know we're expecting some rain again, but it's so dry. Into the fall, you have it to is. keep watering, or you can lose those trees and, and things like that. Yes. So. Yes. And, you know, look, watch the leaves on the tree. They start turning in, trying to protect themselves, too. And if you haven't watered, you better start watering. They need to go into the winter uh, at least uh, in fairly decent shape. If you just say, well, maybe we'll get, you know, wet fall or something, it just doesn't seem to happen. So if they're telling you that they need water, get out there and water them. And you're, if you have a, a slow-running hose, uh, lay that down on the ground and you can water clear out to the drip line of your tree. The drip line is the end of where the branches go. So if they're out 10 feet, you, they've got roots going out that far. Well, Barb, you have an ingenious way, and you um, get those five-gallon buckets, and you drill holes in the bottom, or maybe Dave does, and you fill yeah. those up, and then they, they slowly drain out versus to, if you just dump it all out, then a lot of it just drains right. away. So that's a way, if you drill you know holes you in the bottom, it'll just, just, yeah, and then you can fill those buckets up. So that's another great idea that I learned from you. And, and you know what's good about that, Karen? You know how much water you put down. Right. When... You know, when you just lay a hose, or if you think you can just go water with a hose, that's probably the least effective way to do it because you don't you don't stay at it long enough. So, yeah, a five-gallon bucket, put some holes in it, fill that up, and then after it's full, then move it to another spot under that drip line, and you'll do a really good job. And your tree will thank you for it. Well, Barb, it's great to talk to you. I know you are busy pre- prepping for your big celebration with family for your 60th anniversary happy anniversary to you and dave and uh all the best have a great weekend yes thank you so much and let's hope we get rain yes thanks barb okay yep bye-bye